0: gentlemen welcome to eat sleep
1: suplex retweets hello everybody and welcome to ESSR feature it is me it's Sarah and once again the higher powers of ESSR are letting me into the hosting chair which I don't know why because I like to ramble on about certain things but I also like to ramble with panels and this is why I have got the best that I could get so far. I will pretend. I'm gonna I'll place their egos for this week. But before I introduce my esteemed panel for this week's show, which is talking about SummerSlam moments, because this weekend on a Saturday for the first time ever, I'm gonna pretend even if it wasn't. SummerSlam is being held on a Saturday this this year, folks. So we want to have a look at the best worst memorable and even hilarious moments that have happened in past Summerslams. So, but remember if you are new to our shows Hello! Welcome! Join us! Make sure you are subscribed on your preferred platform. So this could be iTunes, it could be Spotify, it could be Android, any podcasting site that you probably have, we are probably on. Just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, and you will find us. Also If you are a returning listener, welcome back. It is nice to hear from you again, even though I'm not going to hear you. It is nice for you to hear my voice again. So remember, keep up to date with our current goings on. It'll be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow us at Suplex Free Tweet. And we also have our community page where we like to chat about wrestling. And also, we like to annoy each other with current goings on down at ESSR Central. So, join in the chat, make sure that you're speaking to us because we are a bunch of fannies who like to chat wrestling and so you can just join us and be a fanny as well that likes wrestling. And don't forget guys, we also have our YouTube channel where we get up to a whole bunch of random things Um, and it's been a crazy ride, we have such things such as the Conspiracy Theory which will be returning with Alan McLucas at some point. We have Book It, which is currently in its season two, kicking off with myself versus Quacko. The secret is out. The power Daniel Campbell put me against my Alba Guerra's partner. And um, check it out. Have a wee look on YouTube to see how we got on after I made David Campbell quit the entire show. And don't forget, we also have Quiz Showdown, which you know we all love a quiz. We can never get enough of quizzes here at ESSR. So. Quiz Showdown 1 through, I think we are on 12, 13, I have lost count, but they're all on our YouTube channel, just make sure you have a wee look, and if you want to join in with us, let us know, we might be nice enough to actually let you come play with us, come play with us, forever. But anyway, I want to talk with my panel today, starting off, this man, <sighs> what can i say about this man except the fact that the kendo stick that you know steve blackman used to hit Shane McMahon has more charisma than what this man does it is stephen wilson
2: ah ah the things are out early on yes uh i want a steve blackman show everybody is allowed everybody seems to be out to petition for one random christmas special mine's is steve blackman it's just gonna be just about him and Shane McMahon, just everything he did for him. Which is pretty right. much... And, and his and brief uh, spell with a cheese on his head. <laughs>
1: right, know. okay. I will Imagine. petition for my Daniel to be part of that show because everyone knows he loves Steve Blackman, so... Oh,
3: it's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just any,
2: any excuse to talk about the Iron Suckle match at Fully Loaded 1999? Oh, what a, what a great... Steve Blackman-Ken Shamrock feud is an underrated feud in wrestling history in my opinion, but... I could have actually talked about that. What am I talking it, about? Yeah, I might change my moments, Sarah, sorry. <laughs>
1: you're, the high, you're the higher power, make it happen. I'm surprised you don't do more things that Stephen wants to do.
2: Yeah, uh, I wish I could, but I've got too many people who mowed at me and I really just want an easy life.
1: <laughs> Speaking of an easy life, this man tends to switch everything off. So that he can just keep on with that simple life, he's got him and his fruit bowl. That's all he needs. It is David Hockney.
0: Hey, listen, simplicity's key, and you know it's much like uh, my beloved NXT simplicity's key. But I think the current NXT product might soon be a thing of the past. So it's, and I've just made myself sad.
1: Get your fruit bowl. It'll be okay.
0: Yeah. Actually, you know, last time I, uh, last time I was on a central show, it's now been confirmed. It's now a veggie bowl.
2: I mean. For anybody who wanted to know, the recent NXT releases, one of them really hit Dave hard because everybody who listens to these shows know that Dave is a big fan of a particular uh, area of NXT, so Dave, I'm sorry, but you can never see Kona
0: Reeves in NXT again. Uh, it's so tragic. So the tragic. finest. Like, the finest. His NXT UK run never even got going. Uh, I, I, I remember we did a show in NXT UK and Gary said he had a good match. I was like, What? <laughs>
1: Uh, Conor Reeves was done dirty throughout his entire oh. career, so, so. it's It's alright, guys, it's alright. Maybe he'll appear at a SummerSlam being. Lily in disguise, we'll, we'll call it that. Right? We'll, we'll have Conor Reeves as Lily accompanying Alexa Bliss to the ring, who knows? But, we'll start off, we'll take out the biggest SummerSlam moments, because everyone knows of a Royal Rumble moment, everyone knows of a WrestleMania moment maybe not so much a Survivor Series moment, actually not even then, because you are the sole survivor, you don't really get a SummerSlam moment. It doesn't feel as big as the other ones, but we still have some hilarious, some bad, and some amazing things that have happened at past SummerSlams. Dave, I'm going to come to you first, and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk, we'll get the horrible and negative stuff out of the way so that we can praise and finish off on a good note. So what would be one of like your worst SummerSlam moments?
0: Well I had a couple to choose from because you know there's you get moments and you get matches. Like in some cases some matches just either ruin a SummerSlam pay-per-view or they can either make a pay-per-view as well. But I'm gonna focus on a moment for now. And I'd like to take you back to 2010 where WWE was sort of going through a bit of a transitional period with much more edgier products because their PG stuff was getting pretty stale and pretty lame and the fans were just not having any of it. That was until the arrival of a brand new faction known as the Nexus. You know, they ran roughshod on Monday Night Raw, they completely decimated ringside and just attacked anything and everybody that stood in their way. And they were penciled in for a huge match with Team WWE at that year's Summerslam. Now, bear in mind, these Nexus guys, you know, they were all contestants on the first game show format of NXT, so it was a new product to get the eyes on, some new, fresh faces. And going into this, you would not expect, you know, a couple of WWE rookies uh, from NXT to be main eventing SummerSlam, like, let alone all seven of them. Well, originally eight, but then obviously we know the, the whole Daniel Bryan story of what happened there. And the storytelling was there for for the taking. You know, this group had been running roughshod for an entire, I believe it was two months since they first joined uh, the main roster. And everything was in its place. You know, it was a seven-on-seven match. It came down to Wade Barrett and Justin Gabriel of the Nexus going up against Solo Super Cena. And just not to ruin any of the regular WWE running gags that keep going on, Vince McMahon decides, once again, Cena wins LOL and beats both members of the remaining Nexus team. This is this has gone down as one of the most infamous and missed booking opportunities that WWE has ever produced. Particularly Edge and Chris Jericho, who were both in that match, have come out and said Cena should have put those guys over. And Cena himself has said in hindsight that it's what should have happened. but. You know, I don't know whether it was, you know, a booking decision that was made out of everybody's hands or maybe Cena had a say in it. But when you've got a a faction that's as white-hot as the Nexus, something that added a little bit of edginess, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of anarchy to what was already a stale product. The best thing you could have done was, you know, give them a massive win and completely curveball everybody. And, you know, make things a little bit more chaotic. But no, it's just the same old, same old tirade. You know, Cena beats back the odds, Cena wins lolly, super Cena, five moves of doom, etc. And it was just so incredibly frustrating to see such a a, a brand new, you know, direction, a, a brand new angle, a new faction, just go just go away in the puff of a smoke. And the Nexus was never the same afterwards. So that is, for my reason, why I think is one of the worst SummerSlam moments that I've ever witnessed live.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one to get us all kicked off. I mean, Stephen, we have talked about did John Cena ruin the Nexus in past shows? Like, so you can listen back to the debating chamber, and Numero Uno, which has scarred a lot of us because it's made us question what wrestling really is. But, Stephen, John Cena ruining the Nexus at SummerSlam, do you think Dave's right?
2: Uh. Yeah, yeah. In a way, I mean, at the time, yeah, absolutely wrong move. Put them over, you know. But uh, I mean, in hindsight, I mean, so many, there's so many guys that were in the Nexus who don't deserve to be bit put over by anything. I mean, Michael Tarver. Who is who is Michael Tarver? I mean, what, <laughs> have a, what happened to him? Uh, Ryback, I say no more. David Otunga, I say no more. The rest <laughs> of them, Barry the, Young, the other. Yeah, the other four I'm going to give the benefit to. Dara Young gets a raw deal in this match. He gets knocked out in 42 seconds. That's the travesty <laughs> in this match. Because Dara Young is killing it right now in U Japan Pro Wrestling.
0: Do you know what a fun fact about that match was? Uh, because of the NXT game show format, they had uh, pro rankings based on how well the competitors were performing. If he excludes Daniel Bryan, the Team Nexus was eliminated in the order of the very first Pro ranking from bottom to top.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I think it gets a lot of scrutiny this match. It's, so, it's such a microscope because if you look at that show, 2010 SummerSlam, it's so bad. From top to bottom, it sucks. I mean, there's a there's a no contest between Ziggler and Kofi Kingston. Molina versus uh, Alicia Fox. I say no more. Uh, <laughs> There's a handicap match between the Big Show and the Straight Edge Society. Anybody who saw that feud on TV week after week realized how crap that was because pretty much the Straight Edge Society get fed. You know, Orton beats Sheamus by DQ. It's got about 50 million stipulations to it. And then there's Kane versus Rey Mysterio, you know. So this is the one match on the show. It's got such a microscope on it it's so understandable that everybody looked at this particular match especially because it fit, in the week's prior you felt the big stakes to it I remember the show where John Cena brings out his his full team you know he brings out Bret Hart who's you know absolutely done in you know the fact that Bret Hart's in this match is something but Great Kelly's also meant to be on the team so that would oh, be something good they did make it yeah Daniel Bryan's a much better a much better shout it feeds into the mid stuff well it's the best thing that comes out of the match but uh I'm digressing a wee bit because it's hard to kind of, it's a hard one to defend because a guy like Barrett could have been a megastar, still could be a star, you know, he's in NXT commentating now, he's got a second chance, he's much more, you know, grafted, so he could have done something, but if you look at the other guys, you know, it was more of a down, more of a hype for some of the other guys than anything else, Uh, Justin Gabriel in particular, I mean, Sarah, you watch a lot more non-WWE stuff than Dave does. Justin Gabriel looks like he's aged about 30 years.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I was sitting watching him, and I can't remember when it was, and I said to... I went to Daniel, who the hell is that? He went, that's Justin Gabriel. I was like, yeah, I said, fucking no. I was... I could not believe what he looks like now, and I'm just like, oh, oh time's not been good to you, honey. And he was one of the pretty members in the Nexus as well.
2: Yeah, because... Uh, Darren Young had the big throw hawk thing going on at that particular <laughs> point. Uh, he, had, he had an interesting one night angle on SmackDown where uh, he tried to get him to join the Straight Society because Punk was his his mentor. Yeah. And it was because he was like he was partly he was partly Darren Young at that particular point in time, which in hindsight doesn't really suit him. He's well suited to what he's doing currently, where he's kind of that you know grafted wrestler. Think good idea, you know, ex WWE guy coming in. Doing what he does, no nights all starting him type idea that he had, kind of when he was in the prime time players.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all we've all discussed like this thing, and I think it's actually quite a good, like SummerSlam worst moment, and um, just because we all knew this is basically what killed the Nexus. Like there was probably other contributing factors, like obviously John Cena was a contributing factor, Vince McMahon was a contributing factor, but also the guys that we picked to be in the Nexus. I mean, yes, I, if you want to try and promote the TV show, but it barely lasted a few seasons. Um, and these are the, probably the more famous guys from the NXT reality show seasons. Um, so, the the actual, like, see the match itself, like, there's no more that the guys could have done, I think. Um, but it did, it killed... The career, especially for like Wade Barrett, because they didn't really know what to do with them after that. Um, obviously, like they went on to stuff with like Core and New Nexus and whatever, but it it had so much potential. So Dave, I think that's a, it's a it's a very good one per se like that's that's when you think, oh, that happened at a SummerSlam. It's like John Cena killed the Nexus or the Nexus basically just didn't get off the ground. Um, but Stephen, you, you had quite a couple of interesting ones as well um, for some of like your worst moments.
2: Yeah, I'm going to one that's quite pivotal in a way for what it kind of leads into afterwards because it's a massive moment in terms of what could have been you know, for so many years anyway. I'm going back to 1997, going back a wee bit further. Uh, ninety seven SummerSlam at the time, pre-Attitude Era, in the height of the Monday Night Wars, and WWE have hit gold with a man, some of you may know him, uh, of Stone Cold Steve Austin, who had uh, turned face famously that year at nine, uh, WrestleMania 13 with the legendary match with Bret the Hitman Hart, the submission match, which is uh, probably one of the best matches of all time, probably one of the best, best arena matches easily. But he's stone cold pretty much he's came out of that he's absolutely red hot continues to feud with the heart foundation at that point in time which is an, now led by a heel brit a hitman heart consisting of brian pillman jim neidhart british bulldog and Brett's brother owen who is the focus of stone cold steve austin going into the summer slam and the two of them are set to face off in the semi-main event for the ic title in a match which is going pretty smoothly it's fair to say it's, every, it's, all the beats are hitting off of it you know we've followed Canadian Stampede I'm unfairly, everybody's who's not heard seen the 5 on 5 match from Canadian Stampede 1997 go back and watch it absolutely unreal uh, so it's standard stuff in the match you know leading in, and then there's a spot there's the infamous spot in the match which is what I'm referring to where Brit no no sorry Owen Hart goes for the pile driver on Austin and it's a move that Owen's hit a million times in his career, you know, he's hit it all the time, you know, it's like standards, you know, it's like a, it's like people hit a DDT now, and he gets some but he gets them in kind of like, not a traditional pile driver position, it's kind of in a tombstone position, and he goes and hits them in the seated pile driver, I am there trying to demonstrate this for the video, even no one is seeing the video, <laughs> but he does that, and essentially, Austin's head is far too is a bit farther down than it should be so you can actually see this when you watch it for anybody I know most people are probably familiar with this anyway but nobody who's ever seen it you go back and watch it you can actually see Austin's bald head hit the mat and literally he does not move for like two minutes or something like that he it's it's, it, does not move for a good bit he's temporarily paralysed at this particular point in time which is is obviously the the thing about it as well is they have to they go ahead still with the finish they don't call the match so credit to Owen Hart he stalls for about five minutes or something like that just taunting the crowd until that point that Austin can barely do anything kind of shimmies over behind Owen Owen just falls and (laughs) it's the worst pin in the world It's it's not even a pin but Owen takes the pin and Austin gets carried out and pretty much he has to He's on the shelf for weeks, he does come back, but the thing that makes this bad, I mean, it's not I mean, anybody could do a botch, you know. I mean the famous one we know in the UK scenes was A.J. Styles botching the late Lionheart, uh, with the Styles Clutch, you know. AJ Styles, one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, you know. Seth Rollins, who we did the feature show on last week, he's done he's injured Cena, he's injured Finn Balor, he's injured Sting. You know, good wrestlers can make mistakes. But the thing that but so bad about this one is the fact that Austin has to retired in two thousand three, right? Because he has so much issues with that neck, you know. It's a case of like what Austin's career could have went on and spanned. I mean, he's got a great career. He's a Hall of Famer. God, He's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. But could you imagine what Austin could have done through the two thousands? Kind of similar to what Shawn Michaels does, you know. He has all these matches with some of the guys that come through at that time. You know, John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, CM Punk. And even mean, uh, even Daniel Bryan guys like that, Rey Mysterio, you know. There's some of the matches that Austin could have had without that is the big thing about it, which is what makes it a really bad moment. And it's just, it's, it's not easy to watch, let's be brutally honest. It's a
0: horrible thing to watch live on TV.
1: Mm-hmm. Dave, um, watching that back, like seeing that moment, um, what, what was going through your mind?
0: Like... I've seen The Undertaker perform the Tombstone pile Driver many times before it's not too often that you see other people perform it I've seen Kane perform it and then obviously Owen did it in this instance and it turns out to be the most infamous Tombstone in history but you could tell just by the way that he actually sits down for the Tombstone rather than just sort of drop into his knees like The Undertaker does why didn't he just sort of lean forward and you know at least maybe give a little bit of leeway to you know Austin's neck or something but it was a straight up leap and then sit down. Like, if if your head was too low, I'm surprised he didn't die from it because it was, it was just horrible to watch. But what I find was quite ironic is that I remember JR on commentary saying that he was mentioning Austin's history of neck problems prior to the move. And all of a sudden this happens and he's pretty much, you know, paralyzed to an extent. It was yeah it's just one of those spots that you don't want to watch again because you think either this guy's career is over or worst-case scenario he's, he's dead and but you know that's the nature of the beast you know botches like that happen and don't think it's anybody's nobody wants to intentionally hurt anybody in that business like to that point uh, but yeah it is what it was and you know the the story of stone colds career was pretty much told for the next four years where he was written off at Survivor Series to get surgery and then he ended up retiring in 2003. His career was cut drastically short because of that injury.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of the reason as well that WWE stopped allowing wrestlers to use the pile driver. It's a big, massive thing about it. Uh, only certain guys would get, you know, leeway on it. As you mentioned, Dave uh, Undertaker and Kane the main examples. Uh, it's just, uh, because it's, it's the thing is, the thing with it, obviously, if you're a, you're a stock market listed company, and you're seen to be, you know, some your res, one of your wrestlers gets an injury like that, and you're seen to be continued to do the the move, you know, affects your shares. I mean, that's kind of the the one difference really with WWE to every company in that respect. One that they're that you know the more family friendly company as well, which is one part of it, but there's obviously that other side as well. But 38 year old Stone Cold has to retire at 38 year old. It's mental. You know, he could have went going. I mean, why he just go back? Oh, 50, he's like, like 50, he's he's fifty four. Yeah, could it? I mean, probably happily see a fifty five year old Stone Cold now instead of a fifty four year old Goldberg. You know. Mhm. Because Austin was Goldberg was very limited, but Austin and his Austin when he was in his prime, he didn't have to do much. But early nineties Austin, you know, could wrestle with freaking rings around you. That's why he came in as a <laughs> ringmaster. You know, because yeah. he was such a good wrestler. But he didn't have to be a good wrestler. But he was in 98, 99 because he was so over. You know, everybody just wanted to see him stun people and drink beer, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's the life we all uh, strive to live for.
1: Oh, yeah. Like I don't really know too much about it, so um, I'll, I'll believe you guys. So <laughs> um, I, I knew the story of obviously how Austin broke his neck and how it was like a very big sin- uh, significant thing. Um, but I know to like a lot of wrestling fans, it's like, as soon as you say Stone Cold breaks his neck, They'll instantly remember where and when that happened, just because of the due of high significance that is. Um, and we did have another panelist, Daniel, was um meant to be joining us, um, but he unfortunately had other commitments that ran over, so he was unable to make it. So his his contribution to one of the worst moments that we have, and um, we're going to bring it forward to SummerSlam 2004, and it's Divas Dodgeball. Now, Stephen, I know me and you were talking before the show. We couldn't even remember Divas Dodgeball even happening.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, we I was sitting there. I, I vaguely remembered that happening. I just couldn't remember what SummerSlam it happened in. And obviously you said it did happen in 2004. Uh, I can't remember. Was it the? I can't remember if it was, was. it the first Divas Watch or the second one? But it was. Um, yeah, it was the one that Kristy
0: Henry won. Was that the first one or the second? Yeah. Oh, that was the one that Christy Hemi won, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, You know, there's some.
2: Uh, Maria Canellis, I think, is in this one, is what this. Yeah, yeah dodgeball
0: got, match as well. You've got. Uh, Joy Giovanni's McGill. in there. Amy Weber's in there. Maria was in it, yep. Michelle McCool was also in it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. From representing Raw, there was Jazz, <laughs> Molly Holly, Gail Kim, dodgeball experts, you know. Uh, yeah. Stacy Keebler, Nidia.
0: Daddy? <laughs> yep. You ever remember, Daddy? Oh, remember
1: having temped any So, for people that maybe aren't familiar with Divas Dodgeball, um, SummerSlam 2004, full height of the Diva Search era. So they decided, let it's going to have a dodgeball match. Essentially, first of all, we love the game dodgeball, um, and maybe, maybe at this time they thought Divas dodgeball. I've got a brilliant idea here, uh, maybe for like the, the grotesque caveman style, you know, the misogynist, maybe that is a good idea, but there's six contests, like contestants from the Diva Search against six full-time WWE Divas that were in a gym, um, so it wasn't even alive, it was essentially a cinematic match, <laughs> if you can call it that. Um, and the Diva Search contestants actually beat the full-time Divas, um, which it it was quite a surprising outcome, to say the least. Um, but th- the fact that the Divas were then taken to Wrestlers Court for losing and making the rosters look bad—I mean, nowadays Impact have done Wrestle House, which was actually quite funny. But Wrestlers Court, David.
0: Yes. <laughs> hey, there were some very <laughs> yeah, there were some very interesting stories from uh, from Wrestlers Court. Like you've got um, Undertaker presiding as the judge, which sounds pretty cool when you say it out loud. I think in most cases, terrifying. hi yeah, terrifying. and uh, in most cases as well, I think JBL acted as the prosecution. So it was a very um, it was a yeah, it was a very interesting sort of concept. You know, it's sort of just easy to sort of draw the line when it came there, but. Yeah, you Sarah, you're right. Apparently, it was uh, it was meant to be a shoot uh, dodgeball game. Like there was no script, there was no planned anything. Uh, but apparently, the, the the diva search contenders absolutely demolished the main roster. Uh, and yeah, I think that was that wasn't the the plan. And they ended up yeah. It was. I'm not really sure. I can go into much much more detail, but it's... It's just one of those instances where you made your your veteran colleagues look like idiots, and you're getting punished for it. I mean, I don't know how that would happen in real life. Maybe you just get like a. It's, it's hard to really sort of draw a line under it because it was meant to be just you know something you know just to get the the red blooded males of the crowd alive and you know waking up because they were wearing skimpy outfits at the same time and mm-hmm. it was um remember this was a time where divas were still treated as you know eye candy. And I still can't get over it. Like, I think there was a segment before SummerSlam where I think The Rock came out and did like a pie-eating contest with them, and it was just some of the weirdest stuff I've seen on Monday Night Raw in a long time.
2: I mean, I mean, this particular, the dodgeball match, at this, at this time, it kinda, I think it was coinciding it was roughly at the same time that the dodgeball film came out, you know, one of my favourite films of all time. I'm not going to slight dodgeball in any particular way, but... <laughs> Somebody needs to tell Trish Stratus to dodge, duck, duck dive, dodge.
1: The five Ds.
2: <laughs> the five Ds are dodgeball, get what's his face in, uh, patches of Houlahan coming in. <laughs> you can dodge traffic, you can dodge a ball. They should have done all these skits. This would have been so much better. You know, throwing wrenches at people, you know. And then when it gets to the tournament, like, you know, What's her face? Um, St- Stacey Kippur comes out and goes, dog, It makes me bleed my own blood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that they had the creativity to even think of to try and pull that off. Ah, they could have had like,
2: they could have had Michelle McCool could have been me, Michelle McCool. <laughs> oh, Michelle.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I,
2: I, I, in case you don't realise, I bloody love dodgeball. You can coming to a YouTube
1: show near you. Stephen Wilson rebooks Dodgeball using WWE Divas. David Campbell, first time films.
0: You ever doing (laughs) Dodgeball? That's a show idea right there. That's the Christmas Uh, special. Um, Rebooking Dodgeball True Underdog Story with WWE superstars as the cast.
1: Yes. Make sure you... See, this is when we need everyone that's listening to us right now to tell the powers that make the shows, a.k.a. Gary Kernahan, if you... You know, message on the community page and say, Gary, we want the dodgeball show. We'll make it happen. Um, but I'm, I will tie it into something that I... When I was looking up, um, like, sort of bad SummerSlam moments, because, again, I only really got really back into wrestling. Funny enough, it'll be coming up for six years. It was SummerSlam 2015 is when I first got back into watching wrestling. Um, so... There's not a lot of stuff that I can really say, apart from the more current stuff, which I will get onto a little bit later, Um, but when we were talking about the Divas Dodgeball, something that came to mind was four years earlier, and it is Terry versus the Cat in the Stinkface match.
2: Oh, God, I've forgotten that. Oh, no. Oh, the worst feud in wrestling history has reared its ugly head.
1: <laughs> well, see, this is what it literally just popped into my head, which is why I just wanted to quickly talk about it. Just because, again, we had no hope for the Divas era at this time, especially when you you look back, but it's now 15 years into the film. It's actually past 15 years, it's like over 10, like what, 2020, 20, so it's 20 years in the future now. And you're like, oh dang, like it's come such a long way. Um, but yeah quickly Terry versus the cat like it basically there's no hope for women's Ah, wrestling at this time
2: I had to um, unfortunately watch this match back doing one of the retro reviews on SummerSlam 2000 it was on our old uh, extra feed. It's going to be coming onto our YouTube channel that old show this week, actually, the end of this week, just before Summerslam. So, if any of you want to listen and hear <laughs> about the Cat versus Terry, oh, oh, they had. Um, I'm sure they wrestled. Dave will correct me on this one. Dave will know this one. They were the Cat versus Terry, the only one-on-one match at WrestleMania 2000s.
0: Yes, that, it, and it was a it was a cat fight between those two then. <laughs> It's just it was uh, the cat. I
2: don't want to say this in a way that sounds sexist because it's very. This is very true at the time. They used the cat for one purpose and one purpose only. It was to get on top of half the
0: time.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean she, was, that was that was her role at that particular point in time. She was the cure for the puppies.
0: And that was no. Paper. It was no truer than Armageddon 1999. After that uh, evening gown pool match, she won. She won the women's title. Yeah. Day. That's the match she won the women's title. And, af- and then afterwards, she got her baps out. Yeah, she got. She, she,
2: she, she. That's all she did. That she did it all the time. To be brutally honest with you, but it's just to show how back was a step. It was, you know, you are talking twenty-one years ago. You know, <laughs> that's the one. This year we've got two match two women's matches confirmed at the time of recording. We've got a triple threat match between Mickey Cross. I'm calling her Nicky Cross. So <laughs> Nicky Cross, Charlotte Flair, and Rhea Ripley, and we've got the rematch between Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. You know, yeah. completely different levels of the spectrum compared to what it was then. But it just—it's. I think you sum up. You're quite nice the way you summed it up, Sarah, because it's—it's—it's it's, it's <laughs> stinking of a match. It's just so bad, such a backward step, you know. Yeah. The dodgeball sequence is a step up from what that was. Yeah. And then we then we get the masterpiece that was. Uh, Brie Bella vs
1: Stephanie and then everything kind of tees off <laughs> well I do want to talk about one of the things that actually again came to my mind I was sitting watching SummerSlam 2016 the other day um, and the thing that came to my mind was the ending to the Randy Orton Brock Lesnar match where Brock suddenly wins via TKO
0: yeah I actually forgot
1: about that Um, because again this is I think it angered a lot of wrestling fans the match itself was really really good like you you bought into the storyline and then like everything that they were telling only for WWE to try and pull off an MMA style finish um, and Brock Lesnar just basically pummels Randy Orton and makes him bleed out quite heavily actually Dave Mm. worst ending to a match like I remember being so angry watching that
0: well, I'll tell you what though, it wasn't worse than the Seth Rollins the Fiend at Hell in a Cell 2019. But yeah, this ranks up there as one of the the worst finishes I've seen. And I think I believe this was Randy Orton's first match back in like about what, eight, nine months. Yeah. He, he was off with injury as well, and it, it's it's just everything that happened afterwards. You know, because th- obviously we've seen Brock Lesnar do that elbow spot quite a few times. You know, he's done it to Roman Reigns, he's done it to John Cena, uh, but Randy obviously was, uh, he ended up suffering a concussion afterwards as well, After not only just getting lacerated open, and you know, the referees and the officials were coming out, Shane McMahon came out, got an F5 for his trouble, and afterwards apparently there was a confrontation between Brock Lesnar and Chris Jericho. Now Jericho obviously, you know, he acts like a dick in the ring sometimes, but behind the scenes he's actually a bit of a gent, uh, particularly when he's looking out for his colleagues' welfare. And. He, he was furious when he found out that, you know, he didn't get a response from Michael Hayes whether the, that was the planned finish. And then they ended up, he and Lesnar ended up having a scrap backstage and then it, it took Triple H and Vince to break them up. So it was, okay. it was, it was one of those instances where I think Brock sort of, it, it's a movie's done before, so it's not like, you know, it was a one-off sort of incident, but it was a one-off incident that went horribly wrong. And yeah, the obviously Orton got a lot, they took it like horribly and um, yeah, it, it it wasn't nice to watch particularly when WWE is trying to cut down the amount of blood that people mm-hmm. spill in the ring too. We've seen what those elbows can do like in MMA, you know, one perfectly timed elbow that slices across your forehead and it's as it's as bad as like a get your forehead slashed. It's, you know, it's it wasn't good at all.
1: Yeah, Stephen, like see the see the MMA style finish that WWE seemed to have wanted to go for. At that point, I literally thought Rock, Brock Lesnar was going rogue um, during the match. <laughs> I don't know if you felt the same way watching that.
2: Yeah, it was weird. It was a weird one to watch uh, purely because it's not something you expect in a professional wrestling type match. I think. There wasn't really much indications of the going this type of style as well going forward, so yeah, it was it was strange. It's a half decent SummerSlam as well, which kind of ends the kind of thing weird. There's some decent stuff in that one. I mean, Balor wins the title just before this, which is good to see. You know he has to relinquish it the night the other L on the night. AJ Styles John Cena a match in the middle of the card is one of the best matches put on that whole year, so kind of miles that comes before it which I think is the bad thing when you have these horrible finishes to pay-per-views because you've got so much good stuff the Fiend David mentioned Fiend uh, Rollins at Hell in a Cell 2019 that show is kicked off by a brilliant Hell in a Cell match from Becky and Charlotte no no, Becky and Charlotte Becky and Sasha Uh, I remember the time difference I stayed up watched that match went to bed I thought that's great it's good. this could be a, a great pay-per-view and I woke up everybody, hell this hell sucks <laughs> I'm like D-. it went to
1: shit after that so
2: that's the thing everybody forgets that that match the match at the start of the show best match of the year and then it just goes to pop, which I think which makes this really bad and it's like and also the the one of the wor- uh, another bad part about the match as well is that they then started teasing the, this potential mania feud between Brock and Shane that never happened but god <laughs> you know, it's just like yeah, we've got this. And it's like no, then we're gonna have Brock and Shane. Like, oh, I, love it. What am I, doing? I don't want that. <laughs> but then, Shane, but then Shane ends up having the match with AJ at, at WrestleMania, which is brilliant. So it's cracking match. What, well, what do I know?
1: I know we're just wrestling fans. What do we know? Um, <laughs> but uh, earlier on in the week, at the time of recording, and um, I. Hopped on to the community page, so this is where we do like to chat about wrestling, and I like to try and encourage everyone to try and chat wrestling with us. Um, and one that stuck out for me when the listeners were talking about their worst moments, um, we have Kevin Nash interfering in the match with CM Punk, and um, for him to lose his title. Stephen, you're you're huffing and everything at like that. It just it made no sense. Why the heck is Kevin Nash
2: there? I mean, it's like, it's like, right, let's... If it's going to end up with Triple H, Punk is the big feud and Nash is helping him, fair enough, but then it ends up with Triple H starts the feud with Kevin Nash. I mean, I mean, it's like... It's one of the ones you're just like, ah, eh? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Why?
3: That, then, like Like,
2: Nash, Nash shows up, like, three times between his matchup right you know... Wait, Triple H held the cell, the sledgehammer, on the pole type match at they end up having. Oh, it's, it's Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's such a bad cumulation on I mean, that then Del real cash is bloody Del real.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was always just meant to be the summer of punk, you know, he was the hottest thing going since uh since he cut the pipe from promo, but there was no reason for Kevin Nash to get involved in this match other than you know, Triple H was the referee in the title match, and you know Ian and Triple H are like best pals and stuff. But everybody was still at it making the jokes about, oh, he hopped over the barricade slowly. Uh, hope he didn't tear his quads and stuff. But uh, yeah, Stephen basically summed it up. The summer of Punk basically became the summer of Triple H and Nash, and uh, obviously CM Punk was just sort of the side piece. Uh, and then obviously Del Rio cashes in, so that he loses the title. And he doesn't get it back until I think. Well, then John Cena still gets involved. He's parading around the title, and it, it all just went into a big. It just went into a big mess, really. They should have had the Summer of Punk, but it was too many convoluted angles. They even tried to rescue the the Nash angle by saying, "Oh, I sent myself a text message," and it's just like, no, <laughs> that's just not. Uh, <laughs> How the hell do you send, send yourself a text message? Me. I mean. It... It's,
2: it's one, like, you never accuse WWE of overthinking an angle, you accuse them not <laughs> thinking so too much, but it's Ooh. like, right, Punk is hot, let's put him with Triple H, but Triple H is, but then they lose to Miz and, is it Miz and Truth, they lose That's the tag the, match? To, the Awesome
0: Truth, yeah. Yeah, they
2: lose, they lose to Awesome Truth, and it's like, right, cool, let's put Punk with Triple H, oh, let's have Triple H speak Punk too, and then, a month, then, two months later, let's put the title on Punk, like, no, you've, you've just pro- you've just missed them there. No, 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 no. It's just it's so bad. It's bad. It could have been great, but it was bad. You know. <laughs>
1: um, another one. Um, Sean Smith, who's a regular listener and contributor to the show as well. Now, this one that he mentioned, I would say, is probably up at the top of the worst, the worst of the worst moments, and it is Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam 2005, where Sean... Oh essentially oversells and embarrasses everybody.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> some, some, somebody does that over as that. a bit on
0: YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> the Benny Hill theme, yeah. No, this was actually my second choice for Worst Moment because, well, well, Worst Match, technically, but I went with a Moment instead. But yeah, he's right. This was, well, to not mince my words here, this was the Drizzling Shits. It was, Yeah. Because I think they, they were meant to have a series of matches, uh, but then Hogan claimed he had a quote-unquote back injury, and he used his political power to sort of say, right, I'm going to go over on this one. So, and HBK clearly not having it, you know, he decides to act like an octopus in a washing machine and just <laughs> <laughs> just goes ham. octopus
3: in a washing machine.
0: Like, oh. Percy and, like, it's just, a, it, for you, Sarah, it's like Percy in a washing machine.
3: No, not Percy.
0: Oh. This, this match just caps off what is a magnificent <laughs> pay-per-view.
2: I mean, we have Chut Angle defend, defending his Olympic medal or trying to win back his Olympic medal against <laughs> Eugene. Yeah. You know, even better. And then the to top we have two men fighting for custody. Oh god, a of dominant. a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
3: It's
1: just like I mean,
2: could you imagine what Dominic would be now if uh, Eddie had won that match? Oh,
1: He'd uh, be like telling everybody that he's his pappy.
2: Oh, but it's... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's... I mean, it's this it's quite a funny bad show this one, to be fair, because the Hogan-Sean t- Michaels match is funny bad in hindsight because Sean obviously just takes the, rick- the mick out of Hogan and it's funny and hilarious. You know, at the time you just think oh, that's is horrendous, but it's funny now. And with the Eddie... Rematch. There's a really funny bit in it. I don't know if he's ever noticed it, when uh, Vicky misses a cue, yeah, and comes yes,
0: there's the ladder, and you just see Eddie going,
3: "Where the fuck
0: is Vicky?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think just SummerSlam 2005 as a whole was just
3: a
2: it hell was, of
1: a. It was a hell of a night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the,
2: the, p- the pre-show match or the Sunday night heat match at that particular time was Chris Masters versus the
0: Hurricane. <laughs> hey, let's not forget the opening match either. Um, Obviously, uh, it was, of- yeah, the 25 second US title match where Chris Benoit defeated Orlando Jordan. And But bear in mind the month before the Great American Bash, they had a match that went on for about like 10 minutes. So it's just a complete <laughs> U-turn for what they did with this booking.
1: Uh, I mean... There's a whole bunch of other ones like off the, like, off the top of my head or um, the list in front of me. Um, so we've already had like the things like uh, WWE versus Team Nexus. Another one um, that got mentioned was basically, my pal basically said to me the entire 1995 SummerSlam. And I was like, okay. Um, another one that, that I have on my list here, Batista versus The Great Khali. 2007.
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, well, we, we will not we will not talk badly of the 1995 SummerSlam on this pod <laughs> because it is main evented by Diesel versus Mabel. <laughs> you cannot talk badly of oh. that show on this particular. However, if you break this down minus Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon <laughs> in the ladder match IC title match, it's horrendously bad. Bret Hart, you know. Technical wrestling supremo Bret Hart goes 16 minutes with Isaac Yankum.
1: How dare you talk bad, bad about Isaac. Barry Horowitz wins a match. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other things I had on my list, uh, Yokozuna versus Lex Luger, 1993. I don't know if you guys have any strong feelings about that before I mention the next one.
0: Oh, The first slap I watched was 2003. I can't even go past like, early 2000s.
1: Well, speaking about 2003, I have Eric Bischoff and Shane McMahon, Dave.
0: Oh, gosh, I actually forgot about that because <laughs> that whole show was just dominated by the Elimination Chamber match. I but
1: mean, that, that, yeah. That Shane,
0: Shane Bischoff was a false count anywhere match, wasn't it? Yeah, it was.
1: Yeah. And obviously, Jonathan Coachman got himself involved and.
0: Oh, the coach was just like. He was like a fly at a picnic. He just doesn't know when to stay out of everybody's business. Like, he was a. He was like a proper snidey heel around that time, you know. He's, you know, brown nosing Mister McMahon. He was, uh, you know, trying to exert himself as like some sort of big man, but instead he just looks like a little bitch <laughs> and half the time. Uh, but yeah, I digress. Um,
1: yeah. And the, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was it's so bad. <laughs> um, but one of my other ones, it's just like a slight moment, just like a wee honourable mention. Just um, I would, I'm not going to say. The obvious one because it's the hell I'm willing to die on and it's technically it was a good thing for one person and not for another. Um but one of my other bad moments was Jon Stewart essentially turning heel on John Cena. It did lead to Sethie double double belts, but at the same time I don't like John
2: Stewart. Yes. Uh, <laughs> As I mentioned in last week's Seth Rollins show, that's the debut of sexy Seth with the white outfit and everything, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah. David Dave hated me on that show last week because I kept mentioning <laughs> Seth Rollins' piece. <penis.
0: laughs> yeah, it just made my job a little bit more difficult when it came to the hosting duty. But yeah, John the John Stewart angle was just there was no need for it. I mean sure they were trying to get to build some hype to SummerSlam and I think it was Seth Rollins that went on the on the Tonight Show and you know, there were there was a bit of a a bit of an angle between the two, and it looked like John Stewart was going to cheer for Cena uh, come Summerslam. But then his reasoning is is because he didn't want Cena to win a 16th world title mm-hmm. and uh, prevent, like, prevent him from tying Ric Flair. But then, ironically enough, he, Flair actually says to John Stewart that he didn't mind having his record tied or broken by someone he respects, and it was <laughs> uh, so the whole thing was practically redundant.
1: John Cena went on to buy a, um, to equal the record anyway, so it didn't really matter.
0: <laughs> Aye. <laughs> you know, Seth Rollins, you know, we said last week, he's uh, one of the most talented guys that WWE's produced in in a long time. He could have easily won both championships on his own without the interference, without interference some celebrity involvement.
1: Yeah. Um. But we'll, we'll, we're going to shift the negativity away. We're going to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. <sighs> before we talk about some of the best moments that we have seen over SummerSlam, because um, there was one that was mentioned on the community page, which actually ties in, it is one of Stevens' ones, so I'm going to talk about that after we've gone through some of more of the listener ones as well. Um, but looking at what we've got here, so again, we have Anthony Fitzpatrick, he said he has a soft spot for the, the 98 one, as it's the first one he watched live and Rock versus Triple H was a very underrated ladder match, I don't know if you guys agree with that.
2: Yes, 1998 mm. is the Highway to Hell, Summerslam at the Garden, I think it's at the Garden, is it? The garden, isn't it? 98
0: was at the Garden, yeah, Yes. was Cold Undertaker.
2: Yeah, Stone Cold Undertaker, it's a great build to that show, it's a fantastic, uh, well done. You know, and you mentioned it's got the ladder match, the ladder match, oh, it's such a good ladder match, it's so underrated because it's kind of when it fell in time. Uh, Jeff Jarrett
1: gets his head shaved bald as
2: well. Yay! Yeah. Scott McLeod would love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, is,
0: but yeah, I think the, <laughs> the Triple H Rock ladder match has had a lot of praise before, and this was over the Intercontinental Championship as well. The uh, the glorious, uh, sort of golden age-designed Intercontinental Championship, the one that was re with the white strap, and... Uh, yeah, it, it just goes to show you know, that was the the genuine workhorse title between two names who were just sort of making their way up the up the ladder, and then you, the main event straight afterwards was Stone Cold and The Undertaker. It was a it was a very it was like a, almost like a double main event in its own right. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: The build to that main event is hot as well. It's so they, they, it's like a face versus face at that particular time, and it's well very well done. It's it's, it's a great pay per view, especially if you're a fan of the oddities. 4
1: oh, yeah. on 3 handicap match for Kyle. Oh yeah. <laughs> um another one Sean again he actually had so many but one that I really want to talk about was the wedding. We've talked about this before. Wrestling weddings Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage. Stephen, me and you did that show together, I think, Dave, we were on that show as well, actually, maybe?
0: There's, I wasn't on it, not there. Wrestling
1: Weddings, nope.
0: Oh wrestling yeah. weddings, yes, I was there, yeah. Yes. I thought you were talking about I thought you were talking about SummerSlam ninety one which yeah, came out a we, few weeks ago. Yeah, we talked they
2: had the guys talked about this wedding very well. It's Summerslam ninety one. You know, it's they 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 cover a lot of the detail in that particular in the build up to that one, but it's the it's it's weird in hindsight because it goes off without a hitch. And wrestling weddings don't go off that hitch, you know. So it's yeah.
1: until Jake crazy the snake that decides that he's going to crash it. Oh, then in the,
2: in the after show part, like, <laughs> oh, he's such a
0: yeah. maniacal bastard, as Jake. Yeah, <laughs> so still, still, is to, still, still is to this day. Don't forget the snake, don't forget the snake in the box.
1: The very trained snake, yes.
0: Very yeah, very the
1: first,
0: first snake. And that whole leads, the whole angle from that wedding leads to that
2: infamous moment where Randy Savage gets bit by the snake. Yeah well, so it's mental how that feeds into that
1: too. Um, uh, okay. People will just need to, to go back and listen to that to that show, the guys talking about it, because there has been so many. I mean, Sean's also mentioned the SummerSlam um, 2002 opener, Raymond Steele and Kurt Angle. Um, we've got Bret Hart versus David Boy Smith in 92, which, you know, SummerSlam that was held at Wembley. Um, Stephen, we will talk about that a little bit later, because I know that you Want to talk about um, a couple of little things, and Gary, you know, the soothing voice of the podcast, does say that SummerSlam has got uh, a nice place in his heart 2019 because um, that's like the Fiend debut, Seth beating um, Brock Lesnar, Trish versus Charlotte, and obviously him meeting my man Christian. <laughs> but the one that I, there was the first comment my wife and me very supportive, Daniel was talking about the lovely Steve Blackman hitting Shane McMahon with a kendo stick so he falls off the stage. Stephen, this was one of your picks as well.
2: Ah yes, the lethal (laughs) weapon, (laughs) he has to fight off so much adversity in this match, you know, I'm trying to remember who it was who fights off in this particular match now I think about it uh, Test and Albert that's what it was I was going to say the yeah. Mean Street Posse I was going to say the Mean Street Posse. you know I, I would have loved it to be the Mean Street Posse but no it was Test and Albert you know and it's a very good match it's a very underrated match you know everybody knows it for that moment where Blackman literally Shane scaling the titan trot literally scales it, you know and, the, and Blackman just chases him and then what I forget a second, just
1: goes see See, I guess that Stephen, the um, the Daniel posted it. Literally, just looks like he's tapping him. Just goes funk It's the fact that he literally.
2: I mean, people people often forget that a year earlier, Shane does a similar spot on the Big
0: Show. Is it the Big Show? Uh, he does the the jump off the Titantron. He lands on Big Show because it was a, a last man standing match, I think.
1: What a way to break your fall
0: yeah he does he does that <laughs> no, so no it's not it's not
2: that year SummerSlam sorry he does it at a show before it so it's not at SummerSlam he fights Tess in a Great Street fight the year before mm. because big show teams with Undertaker to take on Kane and X-Pac in one of the worst tag matches you'll see in SummerSlam <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's, 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 it's the fact that Shane he goes he falls he doesn't even look he's not he even looking It's like away. he just goes he just goes it's literally look it's it looks so realistic. just you get one big whack, and it clearly looks like
1: he's
0: just knocked
1: them off and down. Yep. So
0: it's it's mm-hmm. it's,
1: it's the biggest trust fall ever. Yeah, uh,
0: it's, and it's a big trust fall. The, it, he he falls so slowly as well. It's almost like he's it's almost it's a like a cartoon. He's, yeah. yeah, it's like a cartoon almost. It, it's not like you know, it's it's not like a straight drop. You know, like he did off Hell in a cell. It was like he just leaned back, and it was just like there was a bit of a a little bit of an uplift, so he doesn't fall as quick. It, <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's like Stephen mentioned where he actually did that voluntary jump off the titantron, and that looked like he was in slow motion as well, like sometimes they're just a thing of beauty to watch.
2: But people often forget, the graceful man that is Steve Blackman, right oh, after yeah. it, then hits an elbow drop onto <laughs> Shane, and he literally it looks like he misses him by a mile. <laughs> but he's, he somehow gets his arm on him, and that's how the pin comes. Oh man, oh. <laughs> Steve, Steve Blackman.
1: Oh, what a, what a, what a character! Charisma <laughs> overload. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that as soon as see as soon as I did mention to Daniel SummerSlam moments, that's the first thing he mentioned as well. Literally two minutes after Stephen posted it in the chat, I didn't even tell him, and he was buzzing. Um, Dave, there was a couple of ones that you. Had as well and there's so many good ones that we were discussing even before we got to doing this show Mm -hmm. Um, and bring one of yours to the table because there's so so many.
0: Oh yeah. Um, Shall I talk about the one that I've said is my best moment or shall I pick two of my sort of side favourites? You know, which would you prefer?
1: Ah, We've got time. Go for, go for go for one of your side moments just now and then we'll discuss like your, your big one and then from okay. what time we'll do another one. Well, SummerSlam
0: is sort of like the the sort of Wrestlemania light, as it were. So there's a bit of grandeur surrounding the event and there's no better way to make your presence known in SummerSlam than having a grand entrance. And I don't think anybody made more of a grand entrance than D-Generation X in 2009 where they came out in that massive tank like the whole stage was literally you know it had to be pulled apart just so the tank could make its way down the ramp it was truly truly something to behold and they had that entire sort of setup as well where they had the army soldiers you know firing weapons they had the pyro acting like enemy gunfire and then the tank comes out and they're just riding it to the ring and it's oh it was I mean I have no words to describe it. it I think this this actually tops Rusev's tank engines at WrestleMania 31, because at least this this uh, this tank had a like a pyro gun on it, and HBK was sort of firing it off by free will, and they did their they you know their DX chop pyro on the tank itself where the gun was firing. It was ah, I loved it so much. It was it's probably the most memorable moment of uh, of the last few SummerSlams I've watched.
2: Can, can I count that with one of mine, Sarah? let uh, go for
1: it. From the
0: 1992
2: SummerSlam at Wembley, <laughs> Dave. I mean, the tank is all great, but you have not been led to the ring on a motorcycle with a puppet on it. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah, it's the the LOD entrance at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when the tip with it's. This is where Triple H obviously gets his motorbike from. It's not as grandeur big as a tank, but it's just the the sight of the free um, Paul the first of all, with Rocco on the front, you know, Rocco's a side attraction, obviously. Then you get Hawk, then you get Animal, all coming, charging down the Wembley. And obviously this is a stadium show at this particular point in time, so as you've, you've, you've obviously seen Wembley Stadium, it's an absolutely massive, big, massive runway for that show. They come out with the motorbikes on it, you know, it's not too flashy, but it's just the, the sight of it, it's just so memorable. I mean, it's the two things that always stand out to me about the Wembley, SummerSlam was obviously the main event that one of the listeners mentioned between Bulldog and Hart and this entrance from the yellow they had to go back and just double check that they actually had won the match before I said it but yeah they did they did they, they did beat uh, Money Inc you know Ted DiBiase and IRS to win the tag team titles mm-hmm. that night yeah, it's fantastic. It's so, it's so good it's so good to watch. But, the, you know, the, the tank is spectacular
0: as well, Dave. I would not
2: say it's better than Rusev's tank, though. I think mm-hmm. that's a bit too
0: far. One well, step too far. The tank entrance, you know, and it came at the right time of what was a very sort of mixed show because you obviously, it, came, it had to come after that, uh, the piss break match, which was Kane versus the great Khali. Uh And then almost immediately after that, you had the seven-second ECW title match where Christian defeated William Regal so yeah it, it was a very well sort of placed position on the card it was like sort of the, the halftime show at the Super Bowl version at SummerSlam uh, but yeah and then obviously you, you had to close the show with the epic tables, ladders and chairs match between CM Punk and Jeff Hardy so overall those were sort of the two the two key points of that entire show I mean, there's a Divas Battle Royal in the pre-show as well
1: yay <laughs> Battle <laughs> or Chavo, Royal. Guerrero,
0: Chavo Guerrero was Pretty, the referee in that match it was
1: aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> and but Celia, well, we'll talk. Like, we'll talk a little bit about entrances as well, because like when you think big entrances, yeah, you, your mind instantly goes to WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year. And um, do you think that SummerSlam might actually benefit from people actually having slightly bigger entrances, like Degeneration X and LOD had in the past?
0: Well, this year in particular, because this is like going to be their first sort of full stadium show since the the pandemic and stuff. Uh, you know, it's going to be an Allegiance Stadium, which I think is about 40,000 people. I mean, there was there was a point, you know, I think we discussed on Central that you know it might not go ahead given the you know the Delta variant still running, well, for lack of a better phrase, running wild in the in the US at the minute. But um, they they do have that uh, the ability, you know, they've got the new setup, you know, the giant screen, the pyro. I don't see any reason why they couldn't have, you know, sort of much grandeur style entrances if they're trying to make SummerSlam bigger than WrestleMania this year?
1: Yeah, it's, it's just what me. it just got me thinking that you don't tend to see big massive entrances I mean, we did see with Finn Balor and his first SummerSlam that yes, you had the big demon entrance, but in comparison to what his you know, Balor Club for everyone entrance at WrestleMania, it is basically minuscule yeah, um,
0: uh, what about Triple H's return in 2007 mm-hmm. from his uh, his second yeah, war injury?
2: That's like, like a like really one. The, the, the video package for that is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, 2019 with the Fiend entrance has yep. got to be right up there. You know, oh, you, yeah. know you know, what, what what the peak probably of that particular
1: point. You know, yeah. That's great. I mean, I think WrestleMania would probably benefit from having like sort of not massive entrances but say if it's you want that big match feeling like you're going to have the big the big entrance like i think summer slam could actually start benefiting from it because you don't get it in the rumble you most certainly don't get it at survivor series um, and they want to call it like the second biggest pay-per-view of the year which it doesn't it never feels like that to me um it always feels like the royal rumble it's the second biggest pay-per-view of the year they do have summer slam um,
0: access though in all fairness, so it's kind of like SummerSlam week.
1: That is also true, but they also have WrestleMania weekend or WrestleMania week as well. Mm. <laughs> but another best moment, um again, this is Daniel's one um, that he was going to pick if he had uh, been able to make it, a bit. it's one that Kwaku mentioned as well on our community page, and it's one that I find really, really good, and it is Becky Lynch turns on Charlotte Flair after the triple threat match with Carmella. Steven, you're celebrating me and you're big Becky fans, and the moment that she turned essentially, apparently turned heel, yet everyone knew that Charlotte more than deserved this
3: beating.
2: Uh,
1: the, the I for her turning on Charlotte. I have never heard anything like it.
2: I uh, watched this at Gaddy's house. And I was raging when Scarlet won the title. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, know,
1: was, I was, I was raging I'm too. So, Just I'm like, so oh you annoyed. bitch. <laughs> I'm
2: so annoyed. I'm sitting in his living room with him and his kids. <laughs> 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 How long <laughs> was it? What was this? It was 2017, wasn't it? 18, uh, 2018. 2018. 2018. Was it only 2018? Uh, yeah. 2018, so... <laughs> 26-year-old man just going like the minute she does it
3: like get the I of you <laughs> <laughs> oh I was so
2: ha- I was so happy it's so good you know oh man there's, there's many things I love if you name two two things I love in wrestling it's a beating for Charlotte and a beating for Cody Rhodes <laughs> unless somebody Dave. did the two of the one thing
1: Dave like, th- this was essentially what's kicked off Becky Lynch's like man um, persona and gimmick but the fact that this is a, a long like we we at the podcast we all love long-term storytelling as long as it's told right and Becky snapping was pristine storytelling like they'd always made out that she was the weak link in NXT she was the only one of the four horsewomen to never win the title even though she was the first ever Smackdown Women's Champion she was drafted pretty much very high Um, along with Charlotte in the initial draft, Um, but it always seemed to be Becky could never get it done, and Charlotte did what she had to do, and it was just the fact that her pinning Becky in this match was the perfect cherry for just Becky to turn heel, quote-unquote, even though everybody wanted it and loved it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It was one of those matches that was originally meant to be Carmella versus Becky Lynch one-on-one because she earned that opportunity. But then Charlotte being Charlotte has to shoehorn her way into every championship match imaginable. And then she ends up taking Becky's moment from her. Now, don't take anything away from Becky. You know, she was arguably one of the most talented. She still is one of the most talented female wrestlers that the company's ever had. And the crowd never gave up on her not even from her days in nxt you know she was always a fan favorite and you know people were screaming for her to become the sort of main the main superstar of the women's division and that heel turn just kicked everything off like if you just heard that fan reaction alone you would realize right finally she's getting somewhere you know she needs a bit more attitude a bit more of a like take no prisoners style approach and, you know, as you said, you know, it kicked <laughs> off the whole the man gimmick, which is now a, a staple, a staple character of <laughs> wrestling today. But the the, the way it, the the initial sort of start, initial start of it, you know, when she was portrayed as the heel, nobody was buying it. Oh, yeah, you know, because the fans saying, no, we're, we're cheering for her. We we sympathize with her. We appreciate her position. We want this. Like, this fighter of a woman, you know, to be the one to work her way to the top, not just Mm -hmm. to bend over backwards to wrestling royalty and stuff. It's, you know, she's going to be the one to earn her way to the top, and we're going to cheer her all the way. So, and then that's how they ended up being a double turn at some point.
1: Yeah, because it was always fun to see, like, whenever you are wanting someone to turn heel and they finally do. The crowd do cheer. They're like, yes, this is what we want. This is great storytelling. It just it so happened that the fans got their way um, and that's another thing that I want to talk about is fans getting their way um, essentially it was a big stab in the back for Daniel Bryan but in the same way was his saving grace and that was when Triple H went in pedigree dump just after his match with John Cena for Van Orton to cash in and kick off the yes movement I mean they've this was oh. probably this is a great way to like this is what was the the cement to put Daniel Bryan on his journey to WrestleMania the following year.
0: Hmm. Like, and I will say this as well. This moment completely took me by surprise because you know it'd been the weeks prior Triple H was cheering Bryan the whole way. He was going to be the the referee for the the WWE title match and that was okay. Uh, but yeah, I. I honestly didn't expect Triple H to, to turn heel, like, this was panned on heart, but this took me by surprise. And it was like, yes, we're finally giving the fans what they want, they've been cheering Daniel Bryan for so long, they wanted Cena to choose Bryan as his opponent because he did have that privilege. And when he finally got it, it was just like, uh, gotcha, Randy Orton's cash again, <laughs> and again, wrestling royalty, you know, the golden child is the one who's going to be carried forward as the champion. So it's it was it was almost like a moment of elation, only just to take it, to take it straight away. And, and believe me, I've been been in that position many times before.
1: <laughs> Stephen, this was a great match in itself. I mean, there's so many times that you actually believed that Brian could have actually taken the title from Cena at this particular moment. But I think overall, do you think this is exactly what was the the good kickoff of the Yes movement?
2: Yeah, I think it's. I think it only aided the eventual push to Daniel Bryan I think if they I think if they never won the title again it would have been a bad thing but the mm-hmm. fact that they, they forced his kept his way in about it and got the shot at Mania as well makes it a great he's overcame you know the adversity it starts off the authority which maybe overstayed his welcome a wee bit but it served its purpose in the likes of building Seth Rollins up, like mentioned that show last week, you know, helping Orton re-establish himself as a big player after kind of feeling a wee bit second fiddle in some ways the previous years before that, but, I mean it's a great SummerSlam this one, it doesn't get the credit it deserves I don't think in many other SummerSlams you've got this match, you've got Lesnar CM Punk, which is a fantastic match you know, absolutely brilliant uh, Bray Wyatt gets his first uh, big main roster win beating Kane in a Ring of Fire match you know it's oh, not the Ring
1: of Fire match
0: uh, <laughs> Kane had to drink the Dirty Pine
2: yeah and uh, some guy lost the World Heavyweight Championship match um, yes it was Christian <laughs> 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 he lost that particular one the Cody Sandow match could have been a a bigger thing than it was in that show as well. So there's a lot of good things that happen in that show, you know. RVD versus Dean Ambrose the dark ma- on the pre-show match. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Amazing to think Van Damme-Ambrose match happened at one point too. But uh, the, the match is great, I mean. Brian beats him clear as a whistle as well, which I think helps things too. John Cena puts him over, you know. was it? How many years? It was three years after the Nexus scenario.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Puts over a new star. And the U-Star, you know, loses the title right away. And then John Cena goes back into feuding with Randy Orton for the title towards the end of the year. Then Cena feuds with Wyatt. Doesn't put him over. And the natural order resumed. <laughs>
1: it's all right. John Cena made up for it in later years. I
2: love John Cena. I love John Cena. <laughs> I love John
1: Cena. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was some of like our that was like some of our picked best moments. Um, I remember speaking with Jack. Um, another one that he mentioned, which is it's a very great one, and it is the birth of Suplex City, bitch.
3: Yes. And it
1: rocks Lesnar's 16 times. He suplexes John Cena, and this is before it even became really part of Lesnar's proper gimmick. Dave, the birth of Suplex City.
0: Yep. I had this written <laughs> down as my best SummerSlam moment, actually, because Never in my entire life have I seen one man just get absolutely decimated to buggery like John Cena did against Brock Lesnar. Like, within the first 30 seconds, Lesnar hits an F5. Like, that's how quick the match uh, kicks off and then from start to finish it was 16 German suplexes just and it was sheer dominance, a sheer one-sided beatdown and to think the last time those two had a one-on-one match was Extreme Rules a couple of years ago. And it was actually one of the most hard-hitting matches of the WWE history. And there was a bit of a contest there. It wasn't entirely a one-sided beatdown. But in this instance, Cena just got absolutely nothing in, except maybe one STF, which was very poorly executed. And oh, it was... I think this is arguably one of Brock Lesnar's best performances I've ever seen from a SummerSlam. To to think, you know, this was against uh, a guy who's now won 16 World Championship, he's considered one of the greatest of all time, and he was made to look like a jobber. It was, it was a work of art.
1: I mean, Steven, Dave's just summed up there, it's like basically in a nutshell that John Cena got nothing, and in a way, it kind of feels like karma for like all his other years of not putting other people over but he just was like you know what you're gonna take 16 suplexes i'm sorry i'm taking how many 16
2: i mean forget about this match the cast of pitch perfect without that particular that summer <laughs> slump I, mean, I, mean, I
1: know
2: don't get me wrong if we uh, i'm surprised jack didn't give that as his best moment because i would have hardly <laughs> agree with him no um a fun fact that Surprise, Dave's never picked up on uh, the match actually lasts sixteen minutes as well, which I did not hey! realise. So, that's a very very interesting one, but oh, that's it's, that's frightening. It's it's crazy because he, every point that you're watching, you're like, he's gonna, he's gonna come back, he's gonna come back, he's gonna come back, he's gonna he's gonna come back, he's gonna come back. Five moves doom, five moves right, doom. He's, gonna, he's, he's gonna come back, he's gonna come back, right, he's gonna kick out of that f five. Uh, nope. nope no.
3: That's it.
2: It's it. picks it up. It's literally, you know, it takes it into another gear. The fantastic gear between maybe a thirty and thirty-one that Lesnar has. It's like for all the critics of Lesnar, you know, that twelve-month spell is arguably one of the best any wrestlers had in any company. You know, mm-hmm. WWE. You know, huge bad AEW currently. It's just, he goes on such a tear, puts on some of his best matches, as Dave says. He gets a 4.25 from Dave Meltzer for hitting 16 suplexes and doing bugger all else. (laughs) I mean,
0: come on. And then then just like six months later, he has that outstanding triple threat match at the Royal Rumble 2015. Like He was on an absolute tear.
2: The match with Reigns at Mania 31 is great as well. I love it. the big focus on it rightfully is the cash-in but the match before it as David Campbell mentions on the Rollins podcast is fantastic work that really helps sell it and he does on that show Lesnar what he couldn't do a a three years later and get the crowd to kind of go and reins his side when they met at the the Orleans mania you know nobody gave a fuck rightfully rightfully so
0: because you
2: know Um, didn't really have a place but this one felt fresh
0: and you know this match this is the only time that Brock Lesnar has ever held the big gold belt. Like, can you imagine if that was carried forward instead of the current iteration of the WWE or Universal title at this stage? Can you imagine Brock Lesnar walking around with the big gold belt? Like, it just it's did, just one of those. It's one it of those what-if scenarios. It's one of those what-if scenarios. And you think that could have been spectacular to see.
1: Yeah, and um, there was another one that. Um we had mentioned in our group chat, I think it was Daniel that mentioned it, and um, Sean also mentioned it when he was talking about his in the community, base, uh, community one. And it, this title, there's actually two moments um, that are quite good. One for me, one for just the general population. So, um, the one that's for the general population, it was the basic laugh-off between Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. At Summerslam 2015, in their main event, just the the sitting up and laughing, Stephen, <laughs> they look crazy.
2: It's just the fact that it's just the fact that it's on it's on Lesnar, and it suddenly just pants to Taker, he's like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like Taker was doing like a Taker was doing like a mock laugh, you because know, obviously Lesnar did the the setup and stuff because he beat the Undertaker at. Mania 30 he's just, he's, he looks like he's genuinely laughing but then Taker just does this maniacal mocking one it's just like <laughs> and then just <laughs> clocks him for the shots oh it's, it was hilarious
1: yeah when you think when you think of just weird and random moments that one definitely pops in into your head because
2: Lesnar's like see the laugh that Lesnar's doing is what he does all the time it's yeah.
0: just kind of like, I, I'm, I'm just the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like Lesnar was genuinely laughing, and then Taker just does a mock one.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, see, that was the first SummerSlam that I had watched since like getting back into wrestling, because I hadn't actually watched wrestling since about 2005, so it had been a, a good 10 years. I didn't know who half the folk were. Um, but the reason that I started watching this SummerSlam was the in-ring debut of Mr. Stephen Amell. Um, in just a match with him and Neville versus um, Stardust and Bad News Barrett. It was a Uh, weird match. A a class Kingdom. It was a class storytelling between the formerly known as Stardust, now Cody Rhodes, um, and Stephen Amell. Again, it blossomed into a friendship, which is what I personally loved. Um, But even the fact that he didn't actually do too bad, Stephen Amell, in his debut, because we all know that he did his own stunts in Arrow um, Dave, the actual like, storytelling in the lead up to this match as well where Stardust basically declares the Crossroads now as the queen, it's like the Queen's Arrow
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: as a trade off to Stephen Amell's character in Arrow which is Oliver Queen um, do you think that was actually a good kickoff to what is now a very well known friendship and it led to Stephen Amell now headlining a TV show all about wrestling?
0: Yeah, it was quite a... Uh, I, w- I didn't think too much of it at first because I thought, okay, this is WWE's opportunity to include uh, some celebrity involvement, and sometimes they can pull it off, you know, like we've seen with Bad Bunny this <laughs> year. Uh, but Stephen Amell, you know, he he certainly held his own in this, uh, in this tag team match. Uh, obviously, I think Barrett and Stardust, you know, were sort of playing the comic book villains mm-hmm. almost, because you've got a guy... Who's pretending he's a king, and then you've got the the guy who, who looks like uh, it's from the dim- fifth dimension. Yep, from <laughs> the fifth dimension, he looks like Mister Sinister in Star Trek had a crossover uh, and had a baby. So yeah. it was um, yeah, and I think teaming him with Neville or his pack, as we now know, I think there's that yep. that relationships carried forward to E.W. as well. But yeah, it, I think it's good that you know it. You wouldn't think back then, you know, it was sort of planting the seeds for. You know, Stephen and Mel to maybe go get more involved with the wrestling industry and in hindsight you know it's a wonderful thing to see you mm-hmm. know that this could you could trace it back to this very match and even though it wasn't the best match on the card it was still something worth watching for sure
1: well yeah Stephen it did exactly what it was set out to do and that was to bring in mainstream fans because again I am a clear example of that I purely started watching um, when Stephen Amell mentioned he was going to be at Monday Night Raw um, and I recognised the name Cody Rhodes from obviously when I was watching it earlier um, I was only about 14 when I stopped watching and the way that it's, it's tumbled on because Stephen Amell then was actually part of Cody Rhodes' first ever promotion event at All In for what is now for AEW against Christopher Daniels and then he's went on tour with them as an uh, he was an honorary member of the American version or a Bullet Club, um, and Cody Rhodes has openly said that there is a place for Steven Mullen AEW when he wants it, and it also brought Cody into more acting because he took on the role of a villain in Arrow as well. So it did what it, it did what it set out to do, and just the. the Combination of everything that came together I think it can be deemed also the fact that Stephen Mell got a slammy for this as well for best celebrity appearance that year
2: yes yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I was pleasantly as a flat prize when I watched this match Sarah. Uh I was a lot more like Dave as well I was more in tune with the product at this particular point in time mm-hmm. probably I was probably more in tune with the product at this time than I ever had been you know in this spell mm-hmm. and uh, I was my big f- I was really in tuned in for that Undertaker Brock main event and the Seth Cena match. So this kind of one going on early in the cards. And it did. It took me pleasantly by surprise. Stephen Imel did very well. and As Dave said, he was complimented very well by Pac. Uh, Cody is Stardust. I mean, I think when Cody comes back to recontinue his feud with Malachi Black, he should come back as Stardust. Yes! <laughs> you
0: know? oh, I'll tell you what, Pac packing- I like think Pac yes. and Stephen Amell would actually be a great tag team. They could be called the the Green and Black Arrows. Ah,
2: because because ah, what's gonna happen in the AW is, you know, Andrade's gonna steal the Lucha Bros, and Pac's gonna retaliate by bringing Stephen Amell in, and yes. we're gonna get a, we're gonna get a feud between Pack and Stephen Amell and the Lucha Bros. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, gimme
1: gimme.
2: gimme. <laughs> I will I will counter it, Sarah, that he's matched with yep. he's matched with Christopher Daniels, who looks absolutely gassed after about two minutes.
1: Oh yeah. I mean the tag
2: the, like, the tag match, the tag match hides all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Like like <laughs> if, you, if you stuck Bad Bunny in a match with the men one on one, you know, Bad Bunny would look absolutely gas too. You exactly. know, so that's the thing, you know. You so no disrespect to him. That's probably why he's oh, never yeah. done it. Ike's fear to go back Ike's scared to go back in because he doesn't want he wants to make sure he doesn't give that impression again.
1: Well, so, well he wasn't a wrestler, he was an actor that did his own stunts. So uh, if, yeah. if Properly said, I am not a wrestler, but I have left the best for last, guys. I have left the best for last because we have not spoken about this TLC. The original TLC, I could not dare t- not talk about this on a SummerSlam moment shows. I mean, I know Edge and Christian were the ones to win it, but TLC number one. Steven. Ultimate one of the ultimate Summerslam moments. I think you think TLC won
2: Oh, not just one of the ultimate Summerslam moments. It's probably one of the best matches of all time. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's many people on this podcast have named TLC one, myself included, one of the various points. I, I flip flop my favorite match of all time. So, yep. but when I was when I was asked for the website when I did it on the website for best match of all time, I went with this one. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so good. It's it's, it's hard to get. It you know quantify it you know put it into what a lot of words did it's six guys who at this point in their careers killed it every time they went out there they wanted a safe bet you put two of these teams together you put two guys from this team from these teams together uh you would, if you wanted to you could mix them up you know and it was it's just we, you met, we mentioned you know matches like accumulations of feuds and this one was just very well told because there was a the rumble, the Dudleys and the Hardys had the table match and that kind of had the table aspects to it. And there was a the ladder match at the Wrestlemania that year that they had tables involved in that one. And then the Edge and Christian started using the concertos and it all meshed together. Mm. You know, tables, ladders, chairs, oh my, as Mick mm. Foley was fam- famously said. it's um, It's hard to put words into it, Sarah, that's not been put into it before. It's a classic, and it arguably put all six men to the points of their careers that they eventually got to, and obviously four of them, five of them actually, I think Billy Ray technically, are still active today, so a big credit to them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, there's actually not that many. I mean, Edge is still going, Christian's still going, uh, Matt and Jeff are still going, and... I think I think Billy Ray's doing every so often. I think D-Von's the only uh, one that's not D- really doing D-Von's a lot. retired,
2: I think. Devon, um, Devon's just sort of shooting WWE. You know, it's mental. Is it Christian's got a world title match? Well, had a world. T- he could, he could be world champion, but I think this podcast, this show comes. It could
1: be, it could be Impact and TNA world champion by the time this comes out because at Rampage, technically at the time we're recording this coming Friday, but when this show comes out, past Friday, <laughs> on the first, it's the first ever match on Rampage. Christian has got a world title match for the Impact and uh, TNA World Championship against uh, Kenny Omega plus his match at All Out for the AEW World Championship so Christian is in two title matches in the space of a month it is a good time to be alive 2021 it's, is my favourite year it's, ever
2: it is <laughs> 2021 as 2021 folks we have came out of the pandemic and I know yes, <laughs> this is the current year things have not went backwards it's okay
1: um, but yeah Dave, TLC 1, it's obviously, it's always a toss-up which one's the better one, TLC 1 or TLC 2. I mean, you can't really argue with the fact that this is a first time ever and they've got it at SummerSlam with the three biggest tag teams all yeah. bringing their area of expertise into a beautiful made match.
0: It is one of the best concepts that WWE has ever produced and, we're, and I'm so glad. That it was it got its moment to shine at this year's SummerSlam but if you think about it earlier that year you did have the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania 2000 which for what was a pretty pish WrestleMania was the crown jewel of that pretty pish WrestleMania <laughs> and it, it sort of morphed into its own TLC match even though technically it was a ladder match because you know they had the chairs out They they even, Edge and Christian won that match by putting a table on top of two ladders, which is mad to think, (laughs) you know, how creative these guys can be. But, you know, creating the TLC concept from that, it was sort of like like a stamp of approval to say, this is their match. This is what these guys can do with the right implements. And I get, you know, you could choose between which is better, TLC1, TLC2. Me, personally, I think I would lean more towards TLC2 just because Mm -hmm. there were so many more talked about, memorable spots, especially that spear from the the 20-foot ladder to Jeff Hardy hanging from the titles. Like, that still repeats in my mind over and over. (laughs) But nothing to take away from this particular TLC, given it was the first ever. And you get six reliable pairs of hands who made it what it is today and the TLC, like Money in the Bank now has its own pay-per-view
3: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, absolutely you do get like some of the great spots I mean, like the the four tables the two next to each other stacked on top of each other, which I'm pretty sure is Bubba Ray that goes through those after setting them up Um, I could be mistaken I only watched it a few days ago and I can't remember Um, or Jeff Hardy doing his, uh, his swanton on off the ladder side of the ring or even the what was it the leapfrog that he, that he does um quite early on into the match uh it's it's a it's a good one um and i think having it on like the summer slam was probably like the better move um to again it, it's it kicked off like a complete legacy um but i think that's all that i know to talk about I don't know if there's any other moments that we've not talked about that you guys maybe want to get in quickly before we we wrap up for the week David you Uh, got anything
0: yeah Yeah, I had one I had um, Undertaker and Edge's Hell in a Cell match the finish of that where Undertaker Mm -hmm. chokeslams Edge all the way to hell through the ring and then basically lights the hole on fire
1: (laughs) I (laughs) I watched that the other day as well it was
0: fun I mean there were so many great spots from that match I think Edge goes through a stack of tables from the ring post to the outside edge spears take her through the cell wall and it was just such a well put together match and it was it was a thing of beauty to to main event the show but that finish is was the cherry on top it was something really really worth watching
1: Mhm. steven is there anything that we've not mentioned that you definitely want to talk about in terms of summersland moments
2: oh that the Lions Den weapons match from SummerSlam 2000 between Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
2: no, know,
1: Funny, know, Alan, Alan also mentioned this is one of his as well, so yes, let's talk about the, the greatness of Ken Shamrock versus Steve Blackman
2: it's great I can't remember watching this I'm joking I, I was joking about it I, I do love it though I think the, the, the feel is class of his time if I'm seriously going to mention a moment it's from SummerSlam 2002 where Brock Lesnar gets his crowning moment mm-hmm. winning the WWE title for the first time and beating none other than The Rock to do it uh, it's yeah. a fantastic stepping stone moment for him It's and it caps off what many people would argue is the greatest SummerSlam of all time in 2002 because you've got that classic opener between Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio, you've got Edge versus Eddie Guerrero I mean, fantastic them having a one on one match mm-hmm. test, test and Undertaker happened, uh, Shawn Michaels Triple H in the street fight the Shawn Michaels comeback match perfect show, accumulated in the perfect move, crowning of legitimately a sports fighting superstar
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They become uh, Brock
0: Lesnar. I we never mentioned we not I don't think we gave enough attention to the unsanctioned street fight between tri- Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Like this was Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels' first match back after his back injury, and I mean it was a brutal affair from start to finish. He ends up winning with a roll up, or I think it was a crucifix pin, and but Triple H didn't look bad in defeat. That was just sort of the the starting point to their sort of two year feud. You know they end up, which ended up at Bad Blood. Hell in a Cell and it was but it didn't make it, did, it looked like HBK hadn't lost his rhythm at all so yeah. it was good to see him it, it, it was like he was you know he went through that whole born again phase he became a born again Christian and the story the who done it, you know the story building leading up to it was just brilliant like mm-hmm. this is I think this is one of the again like he, to what Stephen said this is one of the key reasons why SummerSlam 2002 was is arguably one of the better ones
1: yeah and um, one final one that is one that I've literally just remembered. It's on my it's on my piece of paper. Um, the saving grace of two thousand and three that is Triple H winning the Elimination Chamber. Um, so that's something I would say was actually kind of a saving grace because um, it was quite a disappointing card. And um, Dave, you look very confused. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, uh,
2: no, I, 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 I will echo. I will echo. Dave, go Punch to one the Wonder belt. Yeah, listen, so I just meant was... the
1: entire match was the saving grace, not Triple oh, the... H running it. All oh, right, like, the match itself yeah, was the, the, the saving yeah, grace. Yeah, that's
0: why I got confused. Like thinking, <laughs> Sorry. Why, are ha- why are you happy <laughs> that Triple H won when it clearly should have been Goldberg?
1: Yeah. Oh, so what 2000 he was. was.
0: We thought so we wanted Goldberg to win the, the belt.
1: Yeah.
0: But so no, the you can't go wrong with the <laughs> you can't go wrong with an elimination chamber match. Uh, like the match itself was good. It was just the booking of the finish just. Yeah, you know, it was like taking a taking a massive shit on the in in the punch bowl.
1: Yeah, well, to clarify, I definitely meant the match itself, <laughs> um, not the actual, you know, Triple H winning the Elimination Chamber. But I, I can't really put any um perspective on that because I I was only watching wrestling sporadically, like the year after, like 2004, 2005, so. I don't really know um, why this was such a bad thing at the time, but I will take your guys word for it. And to sum up, you can actually have a really good SummerSlam moment. It just so happens that Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and being the sole survivor at Survivor Series kind of overshadows it in a little way. Um, So we should really make a campaign to make SummerSlam moments a thing that everyone wants their SummerSlam moment. Instead of, like, If they can't get a Wrestlemania moment, get a Summerslam moment. Um, and on that note, I want to first of all thank everyone that got involved on the community page. It does mean a lot. Um, I know that some people can be quite quiet. Don't be shy in getting your views into us um, because it sparks a good debate and who doesn't love chatting with other wrestling fans. And So I do want to say thank you to everyone that did. Contribute and it hopefully can encourage some other people to contribute further in the future um, and I want to thank Stephen and David for being my lovely panel for today And yes,
0: thanking you yep, yep.
1: and just remember everybody whether you're new or returning to us Make sure that you are subscribed so you don't ever miss a show and um, We come out with our feature shows every Thursday every Tuesday and central is usually depending on if there's A, Decent Wrestling News, or B, Real Life does not get in the way from us, and that we usually have Central on a Thursday. Even if you want to join in, at the moment we are looking for people to join the family of ESSR. Um, If you watch New Japan, if you watch Ring of Honor, WWE, NXT, AEW, Impact, even Stardom and New Japan, Come and come and let us know and um, we have a link on our Twitter page and um, that we are currently taking applications for people to come and join us and um, it all the information is there and um, we will make sure we will post out another another tweet at some point but it's at suplex retweet on Twitter Facebook and Instagram make sure you're subscribed on the podcasting platforms and as always I want to thank you for all for listening today and next week Stephen Wilson is going to be in the hosting chair as we look back over NXT TakeOver Brooklyn number one. One of our favorite pay-per-views. Stephen, we are excited, aren't we?
2: Yes. Dave uh, is on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to talk all about just in front of Liga. It's going to be great I fun. I'm on
3: that
0: show. <laughs> uh, and you're lucky that this was about two years before the Undisputed Era shows up, so you can savor <laughs> any rants or... Any outpouring of grievances that I might have for an NXT show. Awesome.
3: I'm on
0: yeah, the show. No. Too. Yay! Yeah, and to clarify what I said at the start of the show, Dave really misses
2: one of those guys that was released, so please send Dave your Jake Atlas
0: merch. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Atlas, biggest missed opportunity since Mr. Kennedy.
1: Uh, duh. I mean, yeah, I we
0: That's a good shit
1: Well, there we go. We will probably end up talking about the most recent releases in general, all through, you know, there's been over 100 releases in the past year. But that's enough for me. I'm going to let your ears have a rest from my beautiful Edinburgh slash Glaswegian voice. And we will see you next week.
2: There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell, and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.